0: Hey everybody, welcome back to the podcast where I bring you the best and the brightest in the world of business, marketing, and personal growth to help you harness your inner tenacity and drive your career forward. Folks, my guest today is Shelly Zalas is the CEO of The Female Quotient. She's an internationally renowned thought leader, movement maker, and champion of equality. Shelley is a pioneer for online research, becoming the first female chief executive ranked in the research industry's top 25. Today, as CEO of the Female Quotient, Shelley works with Fortune 500 companies and impact organizations to advance the equality and equity in the workplace. Through its signature pop-up experience, the Equality Lounge, along with Global Exchange Advisory Services, the Female Quotient has created an international community of women rising up to catalyze change. And as a firm believer in giving back with generosity, Shelly is a proud mentor to women around the world. So let's get to it without further ado. Shelly's Alice. welcome to the podcast. Oh,
1: so excited to be here. That was a great introduction. Although you forgot to say that my nickname is Chief Troublemaker. So there you have it.
0: Chief Troublemaker. Then, then I will be the Senior Director of Trouble because I have not been promoted yet up through the executive ranks. But I'm, I'm on my way. I have lots of mentors and maybe I'll have a new one after this show here. Shelly, so let's get to it right here. Um, You grew up as, as one of four girls in, in your family, right?
1: Yeah, number two.
0: Tell us a little number two. So you were number two. Okay, got it. And, and the middle the middle children are always, that's the toughest ones there. So tell us a little bit about growing up. And I always like to ask, like, what did you want to do when you were a kid?
1: <laughs> You're not going to believe this one, but uh, growing up as One of four girls is is pretty remarkable because you'd think being one of four girls, I'd be competitive with my sisters. And quite the opposite, we're all the greatest of friends. And my parents did something so right because I, you know, we're all so similar and yet so incredibly different. Actually, they wrote an article in a magazine about me and my baby sister, Rachel. So I just turned 60. And my baby sister, no. Rachel is probably 53 and the article, she's single and amazing. dropped dead gorgeous. And the article was, we are so similar and yet so different. And it was just so true. And the, the article was great. It said, I was in the movie business at the time and she was also on television and they said, um, I am going to bet it. 10 p.m. and she's just doing a wardrobe change at 10 p.m. And I wear right. couture clothing uh, to my knee and she wears uh, trendy clothing above her, you know, way above her knee. And she is, you know, it was just the compare and contrast. And it was just such a great article. And we all just love each other so much. And I think my parents really brought us up all about this Collaboration, you know, how we all shared everything. And it was just this remarkable family life of love and and really the value add that we all had. We traveled as a family together. We chased total solar eclipses. And my parents That's taught us cool. about yes, about experience. Par- and go ahead.
0: No, I was about to say your parents well, like old hippies.
1: No, it just, it just, it was just about living life with experiences and sharing everything with one another. We never fought. I don't remember fighting with my sisters. My, my older sister is 14 months older than I am. And we shared a bedroom together and we, we shared clothes. We shared not boyfriends at the same time, but if the boy, if the guy wasn't right for her, he probably was right for me. And it just was an amazing childhood and I, it's the same thing today, you know, with, with girlfriends in my life and, you know, women, I, I just always say we're better together. And I, I just love the values that my parents instilled in us. And I think it was about traveling as a family together. And even today, my sisters were all such great friends and all of my kids and their cousins, we, we do so much together. So growing up was just an amazing experience.
0: Sisterhood, togetherness. But do you recall like your first kind of notion of your head of what you wanted to be when you grew up?
1: So this is- Like I knew funny. I wanted to be an
0: architect and I never turned out to be an architect.
1: I wanted to be a flight attendant. <laughs> so now I'm a 3 million miler on pretty much every airline. Right. I actually—I I know when flight attendants get their hair cut. I'm like, oh, a nice haircut. So I probably fly more <laughs> than than pilots and more than flight attendants. But I love- the world and you know, not so much about sightseeing, even though I do love seeing the world, but I love culture and knowing people and what makes them tick and their values and community and and just understanding the all aspects of the world. And that's probably why I was, I was in market research, just understanding yeah. all the different aspects of culture and ethnography and, and things like that. So I wanted to be a flight attendant, now I get to fly all over the world.
0: I love it that's fantastic and before I get to the to the the next segment of your incredible story here, I need to ask you about that w w f belt behind you that wrestling belt is, it, is there a story behind that?
1: so this is my title belt i mean this i have to ask di- this is my w w e title belt and it Amazing. has my it has my let's see it has my name i mean come on and then it's it the coolest thing my, i've ever seen my chief troublemaker this is love it. my My dear girlfriend, Steph McMahon, the chief brand officer, Vince McMahon's daughter. uh, she's a legend. That family's a legend legend. I grew up with. Uh, She's she's amazing. And she
0: has a great story, too. She's a great story, too. This
1: this belt was given to me because uh, Steph says it's my favorite story that the women, female wrestlers, used to have a title belt half the size of the men. There were little uh, belts with butterflies on them. And uh, like, why should they have belts half the size of the men when they are such badass wrestlers? And so, of course, we got the belts the same size of the men. And so that's my champion title belt.
0: I love it. And, and, and Steph is a, a complete boss. She's, a, she's on my list. We'll pause it for now. She's on my top 10 list of future guests that I'd love to have on the show, but pause on that one for a moment. And, and let's talk about, you know, first jobs out of school. We all have these stories, right? Like I was, tw- I was, you know, 23, 24 trying to live in New York City, making $26,000 a year. My rent was 1200 bucks a, a month. Do the math on that. And you could think how fast I got into debt, but your story is a little bit different. You know, the same thing, making, you know, $24,000 a year, but your boss was making a lot more, and that's when you're like, "Wait a minute!" The flag went the the red flag went up there. Tell us about that.
1: Uh, you know, it's so funny. So my first job was working for um, a man named Dave Vedera, actually Baldev Vedera, and. He was actually the greatest inspiration and role model for me. I I just adored him. I wanted a job. I thought I was getting a job in an ad agency and I, I was at Columbia university and I went and found a job on a bulletin board and it said creative agency. And I really did think Mm. it was an ad agency. And so I pulled it and I went to this job. I was in a suit and everything. I show up and it's a five story building brownstone. And I walk in, there's three women and they were great, you know, fun women all sitting around having lunch, eating frozen yogurt. And I'm like, Oh, this is a perfect job. And they're all gossiping about, you know, movies and all that kind of stuff. And I'm like, I could do this. This is perfect. And I walk in, we sit and we're like, you know, chatting. And, um, I sit around and I'm, I'm talking with them, and all of a sudden the boss comes in. He's wearing wallaby shoes. Do you know what those are? You're too young. Do you, you know what that is? <laughs>
0: no. okay,
1: they're like Wallabies. no. It sounds like something
0: Australian. Are they Australian?
1: They're, they're kind of goofy shoes, red socks, corduroy brown pants, button down shirt, kind of messy looking, and you know, it's just so informal. And we just started like talking about ads and breaking it down and he showed us some commercials and it was just such a great place to work and so of course i accepted the job and you know twenty three thousand dollars a year and it was the best job in the whole and i ended up working for him for seven years and the way we did business was every day we would sit around in a circle and just talk about ads. And we had this brilliant idea jar. And whenever we had an idea, we'd write it on a piece of paper, stick it in the jar. And at night, probably eight o'clock at night. I mean, there was no nine to five job at that time. We worked no. until midnight. But it was so fun. And we would pull out these brilliant ideas, talk about them, and then make it happen. Boom. You had a good idea. We'd make it old happen. School. And I old school. And I fitted a typewriter. We would type things. And like that's how we were. This is a really long time ago. And it was the best job in the whole world. And I would meet the CEO, the CMO, like there was no title. And I got to meet the most senior level executives and sit at the table and whatever I said happened. It didn't even matter how much money I made. I was the boss. We all were bosses. You know, title was irrelevant. So I I really didn't care. And he was, who knew how much he was. I think we were like a $10 $10 million company. There was only five of us working and we were right. all making $23,000 a year. And he was making the difference. Do the math. There was no overhead. Do the math. So there you go. Until <laughs> this day, 212-689-0207. That was the phone number of the company. And we had rotary phones, I think at the time. And I still remember no, we don't want... that phone number because but he you... was such a mentor to me because he taught me so many important things about, business, client relationships, because he was genius and I didn't care how much money I made because he taught me so many valuable lessons in life.
0: Yeah. And, the, and those core pieces are so foundational to him. And I grew up in I worked in advertising and, and marketing and media. And I always say those first jobs out of school were the most critical because it taught me Client relationships, the importance of them, how to manage expectations and how to, how to under-promise and over-deliver, you know which I think are, are not being taught as much as they should be in this you know, modern world that we're living in. And I think a lot of the, uh, the young folks out there are kind of losing out on those foundational elements. What do you do from a mentorship perspective yourself when you have you know, you know, young ladies and young men that work for you? How do you instill those values in them and those old-school, traditional, foundational elements?
1: I mean, the first thing that Dave taught me was a, the importance of simplicity. I mean, it was just so simple. Things weren't over-engineered. The second was the importance of relationships. Our clients were so connected to us. You know, you pick up the phone, everything was yes. Client wanted to, it was yes. We just, Mm -hmm. if the client wanted to deviate from how we did something, The client's always right. We just said yes and we got it done. It was just not a big deal. Like nothing was a big deal. We just said yes and we got it done and figured it out. And our business grew as a result of that. You know, our clients loved us. We never lost any business. The third thing was he was available. We were in this little office and you wanted to get something done. You walked in his office. There was no big office and formality. You said, hey, Dave. How about this? The other thing is we had a brilliant idea jar. We all were brilliant. And every idea we sat around, we talked about it and boom, things happened. And no matter what, we were all equal. You know, it just, and it's even today, I hate titles. There was no title. Like we all made shit happen. And it was like, the other thing that really was amazing And this was crazy in the wall street journal. So we did, so we were, I was in the survey business. I thought I was going to an ad agency. I was actually in market research and we did paper surveys. It was mall intercept. So we would go to the mall and ask consumers questions. What was your favorite commercials? What did you like about commercials? What didn't you like? It was just so basic. And yet we were a big market research company, yet we were so tiny. And at the end of every survey we would just say what was your favorite commercial that was the question Hmm. and consumers would tell us open it and they would tell us their favorite commercial from that one question in the wall street journal we had a column that would say what favorite commercial it was we had this huge column in the wall street journal from that one question we tagged on for free to the end of every survey and ron alsop would write this column From video storyboards, your favorite commercial. And we became this huge research company, video storyboard tests, a video little storyboard company because of this one little free thing we would write. So simple. And yet Wall Street Journal had a big column on us. That was
0: that. And that, and that just goes to show you goes to show you, you know, you plant these little seeds, these little ideas and it, they grow into big things. But I want to I want to pause for a second here and I want to kind of talk about, you know, when you first kind of realized of the the gender inequality. Was it younger? Was it, you know, early on in your career like in those early jobs when you said, "Wait, why am I only making this when uh, when, you know, male counterparts are making that? When when did that light bulb go off?"
1: I did I never thought about that. First of all, I worked with all women in you know, the business with Dave and he treated us so wonderfully. And I never even thought about how much money I made and how much money he made. And I loved my job and he was amazing. So i never thought about that. And I didn't think about that until much later in life, um, in terms of pay equity. Um, I then got to my next job, um, where it was a much bigger company and I was of course, Um, a very senior level executive, one of few women working for a lot of male bosses. And my first review, big review, because Dave never reviewed me. That was nothing. Then I got to a bigger company and I was, you know, rising the ranks. I go to my first formal review and now things started happening and, um, But let's, let's, thought, before we get
0: to that review no. before we get to review show let's 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 pause it let's pause there for a second because because i'm going to get to that in a second but i want no. everyone to understand the impact that shelly had on the digital marketing world as a pioneer really pioneering split screen banner interstitial ads i mean literally this was the this is day one this you're an og homie at this stuff and that's incredible i mean my roots are in digital marketing when you think about the first ads that came out you know were they intrusive how do people think about them i'd love a little kind of brief history if you don't mind for my marketing audience out there on on the first uh the first digital ads.
1: Okay, well, I didn't get to that yet. So, I'm still in traditional mall intercept paper pencil surveys. So
0: real old school I'm, surveys.
1: So I'm I'm in old school surveys to start. So, when I'm with video storyboards, we were doing storyboard testing which was literally cutting ads and doing Storyboard testing. That was David Era video storyboard testing. This was in 1980. Oh, God, 87. You know, I'm an old lady. This is a long time ago. We went into <laughs> malls and we were doing paper pencil with little old ladies asking you Emanuel, things and using analog. paper pencil, writing the answers down, taking their erasers and erasing the answers. So that was then. That's, then I went that's to ASI. So what's, what's, which was still phone intercept, where we were actually then doing phone intercept and calling people on telephone in their homes, doing surveys. So at ASI, we were doing phone intercept. So so we
0: could see that we could see the progression. So let's go back. So let's get back to the story, which I abruptly cut you off on. So you were in this role, and it was time for this performance review. What happened there?
1: So I then went from Video Storyboard, Mall Intercept to ASI, which was quantitative. And that's quantitative research where we did phone intercept research. And it was um, where it was sort of on. um, This is now a whole. I remember going to David Darrow saying, I just got recruited to go to ASI. Um, It's time for me to fly the coop are you okay with this? I need to grow my career. What is quantitative research? I went and asked him, I said, you need to let me fly. It's time for me to go. And he said, I don't want you to go, but you're right. It's time for you to grow your career. I said, so help me prep for this interview. I'm a little nervous about it. And he was like a father to me. And he encouraged me to go and I go for this big interview and I'm very nervous about it. And of course I get the job and I'm now taking a big leap. I go from a uh a 100 you know um a, a, a $23,000 job to a $110,000 job. It's a big jump. Like, a big jump and
0: responsibility and, level. Mhm.
1: Yeah. And I'm pretty excited about it and my first review comes and I have a mail boss, a mail boss, a mail boss, a mail boss, a mail boss. And I think I'm like the golden child. I'm a team player. I say Can't yes to everybody. And you know, I come in early and I stay late And but I am, I kind of push the envelope because I'm so used to being at a small little company where I say yes to everybody. And you know, I listen to clients and I'm always proactive and I'm breaking all the rules. And I'm such an innovative kind of personality. And I come in and of course I get this 10 page typewritten um, review and my boss sits me down and he says, you know, five nice things about me. I'm smart and I'm a team player and you know, all this kind of stuff. And then he goes and rips me to shreds. I push people out of their comfort zone. I say yes to Mm. clients too often. I take clients to lunch, you know, all the time. Oh, how dare you you? (laughs) And that I, you know, I spend too much time with clients and all this kind of stuff. And I have two options. One, agree with him and sign the review that I agree. Or do what Dave Vedera trained me to do, which was look at him and do what I did and say, you know what, you are so terribly wrong. And you just made the biggest mistake of your life. Now, I'm still a young executive, but
0: Take some he was there. wrong.
1: I'm trained to be a relationship girl and to say yes to everyone and to push the barriers and to break the rules. And from that moment on, I realized that I am not going to follow the rules that make no sense. And I am about relationships and I'm not going to be an order taker and sit at a desk. And that's just not who I am. And I, I realized from that moment forward, I would rather be in charge and I need to write my own rules and that at some point I'm going to need to create my own company and create the uncorporate rules and run the own, my own show if I'm going to thrive okay. in business and, and I need to have my own company. And
0: I love the epiphany point, story. Love it. Yeah,
1: and, and that was a and I call them heartbeat moments. But boom, boom boom, but boom. Yes. You gotta follow your heart. And I also at that Special. point was married, I was gonna have kids, and I knew that if I was gonna raise a family, I was gonna need to write my own rules so that I was no longer gonna be the exception, but I could create the new norm and run my own show. And that was a big moment for me. And it was also at the time I started becoming a digital guru when the internet was running and I started creating consortiums of understanding that I wanted to move marketers into the internet. And when I started, I started testing online advertising. So I, I didn't pioneer online research yet, but I started testing online ads and I created a cons- the first consortium of advertisers to come together and to start pioneering different ad models. Now you could talk about your- the digital piece.
0: There we go. And I'll splice that back in with uh, in post-production over there. So we have this storyline, right? The podcast is brought to you in partnership with Vencherry, the recruitment operating system. The all-in-one tech platform purposely built for recruitment and staffing to unify your front, middle, and back office operations. VinCherry is designed by recruiters for recruiters. Both the company and the platform are the unique creations of successful recruiters who sold their business, saw a need for a better recruitment tech, and made it happen. And if you're looking to upgrade your recruitment tech and give your recruiters a new modern operating system, visit VinCherry.io slash podcast. That's vincer dot I-O. Backslash p o z c a s t for an exclusive offer. Thanks. But it, but it's interesting too. And correct me if I'm wrong on this. Um, you know, you you there's a story where you needed a developer, right, to to build this thing, and you promised this developer a million dollars, and you had to go out and figure this out. Where are we going to get this from? I think that's a pretty cool story.
1: So we first started at ASI, where I had this idea to move marketers into testing ads before I pioneered online research and so I created a consortium that was first called the CIA the consortium of interactive advertisers and I brought 10 non-competitive advertisers together and it was amazing and we tested ads and you know that's when we created interstitials and split screens and banners and and I brought us all together and I had everyone kick in different ads and ad units and ad sizes. And we created something that never existed before. And we created a whole database to test ad units. And I went around to all different um, websites. And the idea was, you know, oh, oh gosh. And we, we, we even, cre- you know, started testing um, different um, websites because no one was doing that at the time. And None. I thought to myself, you know, advertisers, advertisers were creating 100-page page websites just to test advertising. But I said, you know, no one was creating programs for advertising. Why are we creating our, you know, 100-page websites? Let's create ad units to put our, you know, I said no one was creating programs for advertising. You create 30-second advertising. So we had a standardized ad unit. Right. So I went around to all different Um, websites. So we started creating different ad units. And then the second consortium was called IIX. Um, Oh God, what was it? Anyways, so we started creating all different formats and all that kind of stuff. Then after that, I hired this guy that was a 21 year old um, digital guru. And I said to him, I will give you a million dollars if you create this platform for me. I didn't have the million dollars. And and then I was the first to po- and I went oh. to my boss, still at ASI. Is this the story you want to hear now?
0: Yeah, <laughs> I want. Yeah, I, I want to hear how you came up with that number first of all.
1: So, okay, this this is such a long story. So I um, I decided that it was time to pioneer online research, and I. I knew that if I didn't have a platform to show anybody, nobody would really understand what I was talking about. And so this guy, Trevor Kaufman, who helped with all the interactive stuff that I was, oh, the Interactive Information Exchange or Interactive, what was IIX, anyways. So I said to him, um, I will give you a million dollars. I came up with a number because it sounded really good and it would entice it him to do it. sounded motivational, right. Yeah, I said it, it just a sounded really of it. I said, I'll give you a million dollars. Let's build it in my basement. And the one day that somebody wants to do it, I'll make you a millionaire. And so he agreed.
0: I went to my boss. He had faith in you. Yep.
1: Yeah. But he had nothing to lose. Right. And so um, I went to my bosses and I said, it's time to pioneer online research. And my bosses had told me that it wasn't the right time because there was no one online. And it, they said, there's, there's only wealthy old men with broadband connections. And I said, but <laughs> if we don't make it the right time, it's never going to be the right time. And so I went to a conference and I was sitting on the dais with the CEO of, with the chief research officer of Procter & Gamble, Larry Mock. And I'm whispering to Larry Mock. And I come off the stage and my bosses all said, well, what were you talking to Larry about? I said, I just asked him, when is the right time to come into Procter & Gamble and talk to you about online research? And my bosses all said, "Well, what did Larry say?" I said, "He said come in next week." And I said, "Great." And my bosses said, "Terrific." Paul will go, John will go, Ringo will go, and Star will go. I said, "But what about <laughs> Shelly? And my bosses Shelley? said, "Well, it's it's a boys' club, and this is the right group to go." I said, "Well, if I'm not going,
0: I'm
1: I'm going to cancel the meeting, and
0: it's you can baby. all wait
1: for." I th- said, so, "Well, if I'm not going, you can all um, I'm going to cancel the meeting. You can all wait for the right time." And so, um, of course, I went and love behold, It was the right time because I made it the right time. And after that, I I left. I left ASI. Ipsos had just acquired ASI. I left ASI, and that's when I started my own company. And of course, I made Trevor a millionaire. And I love it. And
0: didn't Nielsen end up funding it? Didn't Nielsen research? Didn't Nielsen end up?
1: So, I went to nielsen Nielsen asked me what I wanted. I said I needed a million dollars, not for myself but for Trevor gave the money to trevor and that 's how I started o t x
0: and and just a side note there like say what you mean, mean what you say, keep your word and stick to it and and that 's just the right way to do things and it 's the right way in life career karma, relationship karma life karma you take care of people, and they take care of you so let 's talk about you know starting starting your own company what was it was there an early Kind of, I don't want to say a misstep or a mistake, but was there a stumbling block where you learned uh, a hard lesson the hard way, going out on your own?
1: I, uh, so many lessons. I mean, you know, first of all, the million dollars I took from Nielsen, I gave away eighty percent of my company. In exchange for that, which of course that money I had given to Trevor, and and you know I have a no regret policy. I never look back and say should have, would have, could have, and you know I I think forward and live in the moment, and that has led me to wonderful things as as a result of that. And you know at the time, my husband and my father each wanted to give me half a million dollars for that million instead of me taking it from Nielsen. And right. had I have taken that money from my father and from my husband who today is a surgeon at the time he was a fellow we didn't have that money and i knew if i had taken that money from my father and my husband i never would have taken risks i would have played it safe and there was no one on the internet i had to build the ecosystem i was the first <laughs> and one of the things that i say today is you have to be the first the second and the third the first is always the innovator you have to take the risks you have to make the mistakes you you know you got to Trust your gut and no one follows you, by the way. The second is always the copycat. It's always that person that will copy you, but they don't know what's under the hood. And the third is the sweeper. They ride in on that shiny white horse, you know, and they they carpet baggers. And so, you know, I always had to be the first, the second, and the third. And and so I'm so happy that I didn't take my husband's money and my father's because I never would have taken the risks and the chances that I took. And, you know, I ended up selling my company for $80 million. I would have made 80 million. But I have zero regrets. You know, I had such an amazing awesome. journey along the way, and I loved every step of it with all my mistakes and all of the the challenges I had. I, I love all the scars and all of the stories and all of the lessons that I've learned. And, and And that's why I say I give back with generosity. I I I really can tell all of these stories, and I share them generously with everyone because they're my stories to share and my stories to tell
0: i love it and thank you for sharing it so let's take it to ces in 2013 where realized there was less than five percent of female attendees and you're like something's something's not not something's rotten in denmark something's not kosher here 2013 ces again just all boys club there with us in vegas
1: well so First of all when I when I created OTX I've sold the same company 3 times to to different owners because I kept rebuilding recreating and strengthening you know the concept you know a number of times and so that you know there's a million stories along the way which is you know chapter 1 2 and 3 we can talk about on on different shows um after I sold the company the third time to Ipsos which is the craziest story because as I told you I started at Video Storyboards, then I went to ASI, then ASI got acquired by Ipsos when I left, I then sold my company, I went to Nielsen, then I sold my company to Strauss and, and Bob Pittman, and then I sold my company to Ipsos, which had originally acquired ASI, which is full circle.
0: And. And correct me if I'm wrong, if I was reading the story correctly through the research, there was one phase somewhere in the sales cycle where one of the companies was moving into, correct me if I'm wrong, the adult film or some kind of something that you weren't, you didn't want to put your name behind.
1: <laughs> yeah. You wanted so to use the technology iFilm. for
0: adult reasons. Yeah. So and,
1: um, when I went to Nielsen, after Nielsen, I um, went to iFilm. So when I went to iFilm, iFilm was so ahead of itself. So I left Nielsen. I started my business again at iFilm. iFilm was what YouTube is today, but it was so ahead of itself. So I built a whole new online research company and pioneered it for the movie business. And it was so ahead of itself. And it was owned by Kevin Wendell and Skip Paul and um, built a big research company the online research business there and then and I ended up supporting iFilm at the time and then I left when iFilm was so successful but it was ahead of YouTube and then they started thinking about going into pornography but I had clients like Procter & Gamble and Coca Cola and you know everyone. It didn't
0: align with your brand.
1: Yeah and at that time we were enormous. And I thought, you know what, this is the right time to go. And that's when I sold to Strauss Elnick and Bob Pittman. Well, I've had so many iterations in life. Total legend.
0: Yeah. T- yeah. Total legend. So let's shift gears and, and talk about the origin story of the of the female quotient and how, correct me if I'm wrong, it's an improved version of, of the Girls Club. And, and, and talk us through that journey. I think it's really important to share.
1: So um, then I sold my company to Ipsos. And um, you know, so that we could go global, and and that was really amazing. And so um, that happened. And then um, I decided it was time to get back with generosity. What I wish I had rising the ranks, and I wanted to go to CES, the Consumer Electronics Show. Heard there was one hundred fifty thousand people that go. Less than less than five percent. than actually three percent were women. And, you know, being an only and lonely is hard. When you go to these big conferences, there's no women there. And, you know, it's it, it's hard. And I want to break into technology. And so I decided, you know what? You either don't go or what do you do? You call your girlfriends. So I called four girlfriends. I said, let's go to CES together and walk the floor. And if you know other women, invite them. 24 hours later, 50 women showed up to walk the floor. Two remarkable things happened. One, Every guy's head turned. Like, where the heck did all you women come from? And it's when I coined the <laughs> phrase: a, "A woman alone has impact, collectively. Um, uh, a woman alone has impact, but collectively, you know, it's kind of a a vavavavum. It's power of the pack. And it was a. Ama- it was just this amazing moment. And the second was, I was surrounded by people just like me. We talked about everything from the imposter syndrome to. um just doing deals we, it was we were doing so much business and and then 50 women turned to 150 turned to 350 and the girls lounge was born if there's a boys club now there was a girls lounge the opposite of boy is girl the opposite of club is lounge and next thing you knew girls lounge started creating pop-ups at every industry conference and it, originally women said like gosh we're not girls we're women i said first of all ladies lounge sounds like a bathroom Uh, Sounds like the Bath Sears, Macy's. Yeah, and and a women's lounge sounds so boring. (laughs) And I said, and have you ever heard of a man object to being a boy in a boys club? Why are we objecting to, you know, why are we creating these double standards? And then the girls' lounge became 50,000 women strong across 100 countries. And we started doing 50 pop-ups at every industry conference from CES to uh, the NBA All-Star to NFL to the World Economic Forum. And then as women started supporting other women, we became the Equality Lounge, bringing men into the conversation. And it became a a global phenomenon. And now the Equality Lounge is the power of collaboration. It's a place where all companies, Fortune 500 companies, come together to talk about how we're going to change the equation and close the gaps. And And it's... um, it's it's all over the world at pretty much any conference you go to. It's a, a safe space for all C-suite leaders to talk about how we're going to work together to create solutions for change and, and close the gaps.
0: And I love it. And 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 we're talking April 20, 2022, And there's been such positive strides, but we're we're not even close to that yet. How what, what do you think is the best way forward to keep driving those numbers of women in leadership positions? How are we going to continue to break through and move up?
1: Well, I I think there's a lot of solutions, but I think it's beyond conversation. It's action. It's action for change. And I think it's about conscious leadership. And I think the pandemic, while there's been a lot of challenges, I think it's opened up a lot of new opportunities. (sighs) And we're now talking about caregiving solutions, you know, we start 50-50, we end at less than 17%. And a lot of the challenges is in middle management or what we call messy middle. And so Mm -hmm. we need more leadership. We need more women on boards, but we need more solutions for change. And a lot of the solutions are around caregiving. I think flexibility is going to be a big issue, hybrid schedules, but also not the elective. I think the solutions need to be solutions that become the new norm for everyone, exactly. not exactly. just for women. If we create the, well, um, the company for everyone that takes into account some of the, the things where we're making it, oh, we need those solutions for women, then it becomes the bias barriers versus the opportunities right. that allow the solutions for everyone that work.
0: Right, you have to be careful there. It's a double-edged sword, right? You don't want to you don't want to move backwards in certain areas by pushing certain initiatives. That's really interesting. And and as a follow up to that, I read in an article you once said, "quote Once women hold at least thirty percent of executive positions, they'll hit critical mass and a cultural shift will will occur." Are we are we on track for that?
1: Um, we will be if we create some additional um. In my opinion, I don't want to say the word mandatory, but if we create some new modern rules of the road, um,
0: best practices. We will. Mm-hmm.
1: And they need to be um, practices that become um, the new modern norms inside the workplace. And we're about to um, create some new conscious CEO um, concepts that I think will go a long way to creating the changes that we need to see in the workplace.
0: I love it. Shelly, what keeps you up at night?
1: Um, I don't really sleep very much because my, my brain thinks, um, thinks the best at about 3am, but it's exciting. Oh yeah. I got that same problem, Shelly. Yeah. I see them all as exciting opportunities right now. And I think with, um, the new ways that we're thinking, especially with hybrid work. And I think everything is by design right now. I think we have such an amazing opportunity to design the workforce and the workplace of choice um, and not making it the golf game, but Mm -hmm. making um, everything a new design the world is going to change and for the better, and give everyone, men and women, a whole new opportunity with freedom that we can have a life that is a happy life that includes um, work and family, that everyone will be able to thrive with choices. Amen. That's going to work really well. I, I'm pretty excited about the opportunities that we have in front of us.
0: And amen, and, and Shelly, I mean, spot on. I mean, I think that's a huge silver lining of of the pandemic, how it's helped accelerate a lot of positive change, a lot of thinking, a lot of forcing. In my, in my opinion, organizations that were stuck in the past to have to move to the future, evolve, shift, listen trust or they're going to die that's that's going to happen here so Shelly I want I want to bring it home here I am a proud girl dad as I was telling you before I mean even my company my company is NHP these are my daughter's initials I name my company after my daughter and I, I do it that. because I want to set an example for her 10 years old she's super involved in my world she's a one of my favorite co-hosts that comes on my show, I do it a couple of times a year with her because I want to lead by example and I want to be a good ally and I want to show her uh, as example, the, the right way that men, fathers and husbands and brothers should should really help support the women out there. But what advice, I mean, what advice do you give to to young women and young ladies that are entering the workforce to really empower them to speak up, stand out, break the rules and not be scared of any repercussions?
1: Well, first of all, I... I I think language matters a lot. And, you know, one of the things I talk a lot about is it's not about having a male ally. It's about leadership allies. It's about partnership allies. And I think it starts with allyship at home. And so find a partner at home that shares the responsibility. So if you share the responsibility at home, you will have a successful career. And that's how it starts. So tell your daughters to find a, you know, a great partner, um, that will allow you to have a successful life. So successful partnership partnership. all around. percent. I think that's what it's really all about. And, and that's what I have. And the same with my family, my kids really have grown up seeing, you know, seeing that with, with my husband, you know, we are partners. It's not a a husband wife relationship. We are partnership in life and my kids have seen that strength and that's how they are now as adults and lead,
0: lead by example there. Yeah. Lead, and you know, and lead I, by and I, that's I just want to say, say,
1: you know, even for CEOs today, you got to get rid of the junk in the trunk so that you can, you know, today just, close the door of inequity, open the new one of equality and just breathe fresh air. Like we all keep retrofitting. Just get rid of the concept of retrofitting. Like don't retrofit. Just start today.
0: Exactly, exactly. Shelly, let's bring it home here. You know, as I close out the show, I'd love to ask, what's the single greatest piece of advice you've ever received that you take action on every day?
1: Be you. Oscar Wilde says, be yourself because everyone else is taken.
0: One of my favorites. I love it. And live it and love it. And Shelly, last but not least, you know, you look back on your life and listen, it hasn't always been sunshine and rainbows. There's been those tough times where you really had to dig down deep and, you know, pull yourself up and harness that inner tenacity that you have in spades. And on the flip side of it, you sit here grateful, humble, and just proud of this world, this family, this movement, all this positive energy that you created. But Shelly, what keeps you focused? What keeps you going in life? What is your compass? Shelly's Alice, what is your North Star?
1: My family.
0: I love it. It's powerful. It's true. And I think that you've broken it down so eloquently on the right way to lead and to set example for all. And I want to thank you so much for your time, your generous time. And uh, just keep fighting the good fight. I am thankful and grateful for you to spend time with me and my audience today. I want everyone to check out the femalequotient.com. We're going to link it up in the show notes and everything. But Shelly, where else could folks find you? Where could they connect with you? Where could they learn more?
1: Uh, Shelly's Alice, female quotient, uh, LinkedIn, uh, any kind of social channels, Instagram, <laughs> LinkedIn, Twitter, everywhere. Uh, you can find us. Find us.
0: Good Our stuff. community is good stuff. big
1: and welcoming.
0: Awesome, good stuff. Shelly, hang with me for one moment here as I sign off and everyone listening, I really hope that uh, you took a moment to to learn, to listen, to laugh. Um, and please check out uh, thefemalequotion.com. You know where to find out more about the podcast and everything podcast at thepodcast.com. I appreciate your time. Remember, take care of each other. Look out for one another and catch us next week for another great episode of the podcast. Take care, everybody. Wisdom is forever, but for us, it's time to go. Thank you for joining us.